Hey, y'all, it's the NPR Politics Podcast, and we are here, coffee on deck, with a quick take on the day after the first presidential debate. We're going to take a few moments to answer some of your questions about what happened Monday night at Hofstra University in New York. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And in the words of the Backstreet Boys, oh my God, we're back again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say we're bringing sexy back. That's not the Backstreet Boys, though. Well, isn't like Justin Timberlake? Is NSYNC. he part of that? No. Oh, same the battle thing. between NSYNC and the Backstreet yeah, Boys yeah. is the battle between good and evil. Oh, wow. But we're not going to go there mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> That's a different podcast. That's for the vocalness episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we covered a ton of ground in our recap episode that went up Tuesday morning. You can go back and check that out if you haven't already. Also, check out NPR's Planet Money, our podcast all about the economy. I'll be on a new episode of their show out later today talking about the economic side of the debate a bit more. I've been crunching my numbers getting ready. It's going to be fun. But you guys, on politics, what are your quick takeaways here the day after the debate? What are we watching for? And what has changed since last night when it just finished and now, if anything? Well, I mean, that's the interesting question, right, is that there seems to be an overwhelming consensus that Hillary Clinton came out with the upper hand in this debate. But then the question now is, how do you measure success? Like, what does a win mean? And we may not know the answer to that until we see the next round of polling, if we see things changing in battleground states. But just performing better which she seems to have done outside of, uh, obviously, the Trump campaign and his most ardent supporters, but even a lot of conservatives have said she did performed very strongly last night. What does it matter? And we don't know the answer to that question yet. And, and it's going to take a little bit of time for this to filter down into the electorate and see how voters have responded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the body language of both campaigns, you know, it's clear that the Trump folks, you know, they're trying to spin their way out of this, but they know that they have a lot of work to do before the next debate. You know, the headlines that I've seen coming out of this are that she prepared and he winged it. And I think that that's pretty accurate. And if you believe the reporting going into it, uh, you know, we know that she was living in briefing books and doing mock debates. Trump didn't apparently do mock debates and didn't really prep for it in the way he needed to. He didn't start off that bad. Badly, you know, and I, I wonder how much of the audience tapered off after the first half hour or not. But, you know, in that first half hour, he, when he was hitting Clinton on trade, it seemed like he had a message that he could uh, push. But then he just got off the tracks, especially in the back end, talking about the Iraq war vote, his temperament. And if you look at our fact check this morning, I mean, it, whether or not that matters or not, but, you know, overwhelmingly, the things that were untruths were from Donald Trump. Yeah. Also, quick plug for our fact check. We had a live fact check going last night with all hands on deck across the NPR newsroom. Um, I loved it. it yeah. It, it, it made me see the debate in a new way. And you guys should check it out. It's it was still great. up there. Yeah. yeah. It really was good. And I just appreciate all the work that everybody did on it and really dove in on it. And this yeah. is a totally new election. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that you've seen in past elections where you've had people feeling like they needed to fact check almost instantaneously what was happening. Yeah. One of the quickly, one of the funniest tweets I saw this morning was from a conservative commentator I follow on Twitter who said, who tweeted this morning, I think Hillary Clinton was the undisputed winner of the debate, which probably means Trump will be up by four up by, by five, Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny. So this morning, I'm like looking through hashtags. Number one trending hashtag at one point this morning was hashtag Trump won. And if you go through the Trump won tweets, half of them are sarcastically ribbing Donald Trump with gifts of Hillary laughing. The other are like, <laughs> statements about Trump winning and, and like how he won. And Trump himself shared a tweet this morning with the hashtag 
Trump won. So people are already seeing what they want to see out of this. That said, let's get to questions. We have some from our listeners. As always, feel free to write us at nprpolitics at npr.org. We get way too many questions to answer them all on the show, but really thank you for sending them if you do. It really helps us to know what you're curious about and how we can make this show better for you. First up, Nick from San Francisco. He writes, Hi, NPR Politics. As much as I'm intrigued by the presidential debates, I don't know if I learned anything new about either candidate from watching. Granted, this year's election is very different from most, but what do you think of the candidate's performance in a debate is actually indicative of that candidate's ability to be our president? Nick. Thanks, Nick. Well, one of the things I was kind of watching for going in was... I felt like this debate could be the kind of debate like an Al Gore, George W. Bush debate in 2000, where he's following up on a Democratic president. He's seen as the bookish wonk uh, with all the facts and briefing books. And George W. Bush was seen as the guy who emoted, said what he felt. And there were questions as to whether or not George W. Bush had the intellect, the rigor to be president. Nobody was talking about that after the first debate because all anybody talked about were Al Gore's size. And it just felt like George W. Bush cleared a threshold because he seemed more comfortable. Ronald Reagan did a similar thing in 1980 against Jimmy Carter where people came away and said, oh, is he an, he's, he's the actor. Is he, can he clear a threshold to be presidential? And yes, he did. Last night, I don't think that that's something a lot of people are going to look at at Donald Trump and say, you know what? He cleared a presidential threshold. He's got two more tra- two more tries, but he didn't do it last night. I also think so much about the debate. You know, we have to remember that most voters in this country have made up their mind. You know, at least 40 percent on either side is pretty much baked in and isn't going anywhere. So if you're a hardcore Clinton or a hardcore Trump supporter, you're set. You're set. Last night didn't do anything. But there are still a significant number of undecided swings, maybe third party. We say low information. I don't like that term. It's a little. It sounds condescending, but I think it's people that don't follow politics as intensely as the people in this room do, um, who are still trying to get a sense of these guys. And yes, it's about policy, but so much of the way voters feel about candidates is gut feel Visceral. and impressions. And for a lot of people and voters, these debates are your first and your only opportunities to see the two side by side and how they respond to questions and each other and what they project on television does give you at least an impression of how you think they will be as president. I also think that the inside game won last night. You know, a lot of people deride politics as usual and people who do politics. uh, But the Clinton campaign showed why they're good at politics and why they know how to do these things. I mean, for example, uh, the Alicia Machado moment where uh, Hillary Clinton deflected a charge from Donald Trump to say uh, that he had called the former Miss Universe from Venezuela, Alicia Machado, uh, Miss Piggy and Miss Housekeeping because she was Latina. And Trump seemed genuinely surprised by that. He said, where did you get that? You're just throwing that out there. And it was a total trap they because studied. the Clinton campaign already had an ad cut and were waiting for a moment to use that. That's when the inside game works and the outside game just doesn't. And then just to follow up this morning, he spoke more about this woman's weight. She was a Miss Universe contestant and ultimately a winner who they had a tremendously difficult time with as Miss Universe. Did not know that story. Well, I didn't know it either. What? What she, was the, she, she was the winner and, uh, you know, she gained a massive amount of weight and uh, it, was, it was a real problem. We had a, we had a real problem, not only that, her attitude, and we had a real problem with her, so... Next question was emailed to us anonymously. It says, quote, Hi, NPR Politics Podcast. Love the show. Been listening every week since the RNC. 
That's good. Thank oh, you. Thank cool. You. Uh, says, I am from small town Farmville, Virginia, where my alma mater, Longwood University, is hosting the only vice presidential debate. My question is, how important has the VP debate been historically on impacting the election? Thanks. All right. Thank you, Farmville person. That's a I great mean, question. I would say when I think back to recent VP debates, I found the one between Sarah Palin and Joe Biden to be particularly informative. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that any president wins or loses a national election based on who their vice president is. At the same time, the vice presidential debate really has one purpose, is you have to be the person that can give voters confidence that should you be called upon to become president in a worst case scenario, that you are capable of serving. Yeah. And, you know, it, it also depends on who that vice president is. As you mentioned in 2008 with Sarah Palin, there was a lot of pressure on her as someone who at the time was relatively unknown to this entire country. And she was being put on a national stage and people didn't know who she was um, and performed very strongly. And in that regard, I think did help John McCain. Ultimately, obviously, he lost. But she did provide his campaign with a new energy and a new stamina that he did not have. And it at least some excitement around his campaign. Um, what's interesting about Mike Pence and Tim Kaine, the respective vice presidential nominees, is they are so different from the candidates. They're pretty calm, cool, and collected. Yes. And they're both people that sort of pride themselves on being nice guys. Yeah. Uh, I would also say that uh, certainly Mike Pence is more prepared on a sort of policy level than Donald Trump, than the nominee is. I think he's more familiar with just a lot of the nitty gritty details. Uh, and they both have been, I think, uh, incredibly good surrogates for their candidates. If They're on message. Yes. And if the cliched rule of vice presidential nominees is the only rule is do no harm, then they have both been excellent picks for their candidates. Well, Tim Kaine, you know, might be a nice guy, but he's also a nice guy with like a backyard barbecue spork. You know, he can like he can like stick you with it a little bit. I'm just saying. Snaps on that. <laughs> uh, just to, you know, I mean, historically, VP debates don't make the difference. You know, we remember when I said that I really hate the run up to picking the VP because all anybody wants to do is talk about the VP and nobody votes on the VP. Nobody's talking yeah. about Mike Pence or Tim Kaine now as like, well, yeah. they're going to really make or break my vote. Like that's not what happens. Now, the VP debates do tend to be pretty entertaining. I mean, there have been moments. Remember Joe Biden uh, and Paul Ryan, all anyone talked about was Joe Biden smiling and Paul Ryan's water drinking, right? Because they had the split screen. What's up with the water? Why do we get so mad when these politicians drink water? I'm not they mad about it. But stay hydrated, y'all. <laughs> stay hydrated. ABH, always out. be hydrated. Yes. One of my mantras. <laughs> In 2008, of course, you know, Sue mentioned the uh, the Biden-Palin debate, which I don't think Palin did very well, but she was at least able to be on stage, I guess. Uh, in 2004, you had the moment where you had John Edwards bring up the fact that Dick Cheney's daughter was a lesbian Oy. in a very odd, awkward way. And yeah, remember, John Edwards was the uh, VP for John Kerry. I do also, one of the moments of vice presidential debates that always sticks out in my mind is that same Dick Cheney, John Edwards debate in 2004, where Cheney just, I think, destroyed Edwards from my <laughs> recollection. But he had a very effective line in it in which he said, unlike my opponent, I, I don't aspire to any higher office. Mm. I only want this job. And it cut, sort of such undercut Edwards as sort of this career, you know, preening, aspirational yeah. politician that made him look like, you know, it just yeah. was so effective. So it, it can, they did. can be very good attack yes. dogs if done well. Sorry, People God. forget how good Cheney was at that kind Cheney of thing. Cheney was a great debater. Cheney was a great debater. And, it, you know, it also pulled the rug out from the age criticism was yeah. one of the ways for Dick Cheney to do that. And I will just say to our uh, 
Longwood fan. Uh, you know, got to show that Lancer pride. So next question comes from Elizabeth, who writes, Hello, I love the show. My husband has never been very into politics, but he is listening to the podcast as religiously as I am. It's just so informative and fun. Aww. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks, appreciate Elizabeth. that. She goes on, My question is about the question near the end of the debate, where Mr. Holt asked Mr. Trump about Secretary Clinton's presidential look. Do you think bringing gender into it is actually appropriate? What purpose does that question actually serve? Thank you so much for your awesome work. Keep singing, vocalness. Elizabeth Harperwoods, Michigan. You know, when it comes to Donald Trump, when it comes to Hillary Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton is the first woman to stand on that stage as major, yeah. uh, as the first woman major party ticket nominee. And when you have a candidate like Donald Trump who did say that she doesn't have the look. Yes. You know, what does that mean? And I think it's a fair, legitimate question, especially considering some of his past statements when it comes to women and whether or not, uh, you know, what how he views women in general. I think that's completely fair and it doesn't need to dominate the debate. But it it's something that but should come should up. And race and gender, I mean, it's absolutely fair to provoke these issues because how candidates, all candidates, view issues of race and gender affect policy. And this trickles down to things like how you feel about stop and frisk, how you feel about equal pay. Do you think there should be paid maternity and paternity leave? They're so intertwined. So you have to dissect how they view the world in order to get some sense of how they would govern. And I think part of the undercurrent really of the question is like, how do we have these conversations thoughtfully? I think that there were some moments last night where the conversation wasn't thoughtful, particularly on race. Um, So that's the challenge. And I think it's particularly hard in a campaign season that's been so acrimonious. But I sure do hope that we can be better about having those talks. Thank you, Elizabeth. Next question from a listener named Sam. What up, Sam? He says, Dear Empire Politics, I've always had this question about presidential debates. Why in God's name don't the debate moderators have a mute button for the candidates' microphones? (laughs) The candidates always go over the time limit, which seems unfair, and the moderator is powerless to stop them. Sam. Thanks, Sam. I literally say the same thing every debate. Sam, we have a mind mill going on Well, that's because you submitted this question. (laughs) And as the the host of the podcast, we all know you want that mute button, too. I sure do. (laughs) I don't think you get to mute the future president. I just, I, I, I will trade you. It's I would, disrespectful. I would. I think it's disrespectful. I think you can say, you can interrupt. You can say your time is up. Time is up. But hitting a button, I don't. That seems a little unpresidential. What I want to be able this, to do is like Apollo style, have the dude with the cane come out and be like, "Your time is expired." Look, I will see up. your mute button and I will raise <laughs> I <love> you <laughs> live studio audiences. Like I, that is like the thing I just like. We there just should not be live studio audiences Agreed. for these. Agreed. So yeah. I that the mute button bothers me a lot less than and the fact that Lester Holt last night had to keep re- reminding people like you all agreed to be here on the agreement you'd be silent and they yeah. weren't and I think it's hard to be yeah. silent in a room like that and also, they just shouldn't be there. Just the one thing on this mute button, though, you know, this isn't around the horn. Like it's not a game show. You can't just like, you know, buzz a presidential candidate and say, like, it's done. I even don't like the ding on the Fox News debates. I feel like it sounds like old family feud. I don't like it. Um, Maya from Colorado. Is it Rado, Rado? I always mess this up. Colorado? It's Rado, right? Colorado. Colorado? It's Rado, y'all. No, Rado? it's not. No, I it's Rado. No, it's not. Listeners, chime in. I let us not. know. But I'm going to go ahead and go with Rado right now. I'm right. Colorado till, till I die. Maya from Colorado <laughs> wrote to us and says... Hey there, NPR Politics crew. Why do moderators ask the candidates if they will support the outcome of the nomination or election process? <laughs> what does this question illuminate? It seems like there is a deeper implication to the question, but I can't quite put my finger on what they are getting at. She says, love the podcast. Thank you all so much. Maya, that's a very good question. 
Well, for one, when pushed, they both said that they will um, abide by the outcome yes. of the election. I thought that was news last night. I mean, Donald Trump yeah. affirmatively saying he will support Hillary Clinton if she wins. And very graciously was, saying yeah. it. I mean, I th- that was a big deal. Right. The Donald Trump has on multiple occasions raised questions or concerns about if he doesn't win, whether the election would be rigged, whether votes are being stolen or not fairly represented, and has said things that would suggest that he could contest the outcome of the election if it's close. So the reason why that question was asked was obviously in reference to those past statements. The reason why it matters in a much broader sense is the peaceful transition of power is what makes... It makes us us. It makes us us. It is the thing that makes us us. And that how you transition that both from administration to the next administration and losing candidate to winning candidate is sort of a hallmark of American presidential politics. And most of our losing presidential candidates, certainly in modern history, have been incredibly gracious in defeat and comes from the view beyond Republican and Democratic politics that the voters have spoken and that for the good of the country, you all have to come together, that we've divided over the election, we come back together after the election. Um, And this has obviously been an incredibly divisive, angry, themed, fueled election. And there is a longer concern that whoever wins, the next president has a very monumental task, which is reconciliation and bringing the country back together again. Finally, Jay from Boston wrote on an issue that we debated in the last episode. He writes, hi, all. Steve Wilhite, the inventor of the graphics interchange format, a.k.a. GIF, pronounces it GIF. Yes. And he sends us a link. Correct. Jay, um, I'm... I know. I'm in the minority on this, but I I am with... When I heard the inventor say GIF, then I say GIF. I know everyone says, oh, that's peanut butter. Well, the guy says GIF. The guy who invented it. I'd be like... I'd be like... My name is Domenico, and everyone's like, oh, it's Domenico. No, no, well, I know better than you. It's Domenico. But your no. name your name isn't used by the entire world. Uh, GIF, I think, uh, GIFs belong by, to the by world. By the entire world of people who have my name. And the entire world. All I'm saying <laughs> is when you make something like the GIF. Whatever, Psalm. At, at some point, it belongs to the universe, yeah. and you lose control of it. <laughs> and if I'm going to say GIF... I'm gonna say GIF. Yeah, he lost. Sue? He lost that culture war. There's like the <laughs> GIF, on. the GIF GIF debate is are, like GIF one. There are bigger fish to fry. Right. GIF. Fact it's check. A GIF. GIF. Fact check. GIF. Fact check. Wrong. GIF. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. Okay, we got we we gotta go. All right, just also Brent, don't cut this out. I want to give a shout out to the folks that make this podcast happen, especially on late nights like last night. Brent Bachman, our producer; Barbara Sprunt, our fact checker; Beth Donovan, our fearless editor. They were here well past four a.m. Mm. Everyone always asks me, Sam, how do you do it? I go in the booth and I talk and I go home. I don't have the hard job. <laughs> so snaps to the folks that you don't hear on um, the great work that they do to make us sound coherent. Okay. That's a wrap. We'll be back on your feed Thursday evening with our regular weekly roundup. If you're new to our show, that's our big regular episode each week, Thursday evening. As always, send us your questions. They can be written. They can be recorded. They can be sung to a melody from your favorite musical. Send it to nprpolitics at npr.org. And tune in to your local public radio station to hear much more of us because we're there, too. Also, download the NPR One app where you can stream our radio stories on demand. We did a ton of radio stories last night and today. You can hear them all in NPR One. Um, you can't see me giffing right now, but I'm shimmying my shoulders. <laughs> this is Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. <laughs>